This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're continuing with the Russian fairy tales, and you'll see how you can get a great deal on a new house. Just find one where your neighbor is an evil witch in a cursed, forbidden forest. You'll also learn what item in your kitchen you can jump in and ride around like you're on the Jetsons. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a Scottish vampire, where the only thing suspicious about her is everything about her. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 16, She Who Must Not Be Named. This is a podcast where I tell stories that have shaped cultures throughout history. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. Today I'll be telling the story of Vasilisa the Beautiful, but it's also one of the most popular stories about the most popular witch in Russian folklore, Baba Yaga but we'll get to her. This is actually the first Slavic fairy tale that doesn't start out in the court of a czar. Instead, we find Vasilisa at her mother's side in their small hut. Her mother had been sick for some time, and her death was imminent, but the woman shooed the father from the room. When he left, the mother produced a wooden doll from underneath the covers. She smiled a wide, mad smile. She had been somewhat delirious the past few days, She shoved the doll into her daughter's hands and said she must keep it secret, keep it safe. Take care of it, and if anything bad happens, give it something to eat and ask it for advice. Okay, Mom, Vasilisa said, not wanting their last conversation to be an argument about how ridiculous this was. Vasilisa let her mother have this little fantasy, let her believe she wasn't leaving her family alone here without her help. Vasilisa felt her mother's forehead. It was on fire. She choked back tears and called in the father. The mother had mere moments now. As the father came in, the mother grabbed the doll in Vasilisa's hand and shoved it into her pockets. She said, Remember, before breathing her last. The happy, contented life that Vasilisa had shared with her mother and father came to an end that day, and both she and her father were racked with grief. Every night, Vasilisa would look at the doll, but it became less of a comfort and more of a reminder of her mother's painful delusional final days. She packed it away. The years went on, and Vasilisa grew up a bit, and the pain faded. She was in her early teenage years when the people of the village told her father that he should remarry, that Vasilisa needed a mother. He said okay, and started talking to a woman named Lilia, who was a widow with two daughters just a little older than Vasilisa, and the two became engaged. The people in the village said, Congra- Wait, her? You can't be serious. She is the worst. Everyone hates her. The father gave the same response every one of your friends is given when they don't know they're in a terrible relationship. You guys, you just don't know her like I do. When it's just me and her, she's totally cool. You'll get to know her, and you'll hit it off. His friend said, No, I mean, there's like 50 people in this village. We all know each other way too well. That's not really the... You know what? Best of luck to you. Vasilisa was even less excited about it but there was nothing she could do. That night, she dug out the little wooden doll that her mother had given her, and it gave her some small comfort. The father remarried, and Lilia and her daughters moved in with them. They were very, very suspiciously nice to Vasilisa when the father was in town. Unfortunately, he was a merchant, and he was often away on business, and that was when Vasilisa saw the true side of Lilia. She was cruel and resented Vasilisa for being so beautiful and well-liked while she and her own daughters were haggard and looked like crows. 
because once again, the good guys are good looking, rich, and strong, and the bad guys are always ugly and poor. Very nice subtlety medieval literature. They had Vasilisa trapped though, and Lilia was in charge. They gave her rough, nearly impossible tasks to do. They wanted to make her as thin and as ugly as they were, and they made her work long hours in the hot sun in order to ruin her complexion and soft features. She does this for one day and realizes what they're up to, but she's completely trapped. She'd only known this village her whole life, and remember that this is a world where a deathless sorcerer happens to kidnap women he fancies, and where talking wolves live one wrong turn from civilization. This daily toil and torture from the stepmother was meant to break her spirit and destroy her body, but who knew what horrors waited beyond the horizon? She would put up with it, because it's all she could do. After one day of work, though, she sat alone before the bed, holding the doll her mother had given her. Her memories of her mother faded day by day, but as she looked at the little peculiar painted doll, she remembered one of the last things her mother said to her. If something bad happened, she must feed it and ask for advice. Well, this was something bad. She went and found some food and brought it back to the room, but then she stopped. This was crazy. What was she even doing? She looked at the crudely constructed doll with its painted on face and cylindrical arms, but she had the food in one hand and the doll in the other, and no one was looking. What could be the harm? Well, as soon as she touched the food to its face, the little painted mouth became real, and it gulped down the food, and then the doll's wooden body began moving in her hands. She shrieked and dropped it, and then just stared. The doll stood up on its little rod legs and smiled and then began comforting her. Vasilisa must have thought she was going insane, like she had heat stroke and was delirious, but the doll spoke to her, telling her everything would be alright, and reassuring her just like she remembered her mother doing when she was young. The doll told her she knew what the problem was, and Vasilisa needed to feed the doll when she went out to work in the field the next day. Exhausted after a long, long day, and more than a little convinced she was going insane, sleep took her. When she awoke, the doll was just a doll, and she half thought she dreamed the night before. Still, it was as if she had been with her mother, and she felt better than she had in months. The incredibly tropey evil stepmother ordered her out to work, and she found herself putting the doll in her pocket and sneaking food out with her without even thinking. Out in the fields, when she was out of view of everyone, she pulled out the doll. She dreaded another day like the last, and on the off chance that she hadn't been dreaming, this might be a way out. In a world where princes can turn into birds and people can hide a chicken in a rabbit, it's not at all out of the realm of possibility that a wooden doll could come to life. She gave the doll the food, and, once again, it snapped awake. It didn't hesitate, but began doing Vasilisa's work for her, hauling bags and rocks, planting, and other things. It apparently had super strength, and not only did Vasilisa's work for her, but found a combination of plants and herbs to act as a sunscreen so she could maintain her complexion outside. Vasilisa apparently spent time just lounging around and picking flowers, and, like every office job ever, she only appeared to work whenever someone came up to check on her. That evening, she gave the doll the last of her food to eat, and the doll snuck off and retrieved Vasilisa more to eat, so she didn't become skinny and haggard like the stepmother intended. This continued for years, with the doll doing all the work and protecting Vasilisa from the intense hatred of the stepmother. They were dumbfounded that, 
No matter how impossibly hard they made the work, or how little they gave her to eat, she looked the same year after year. As an aside, as a modern reader, I'm a little lukewarm on the idea of a magic doll doing all of Vasilisa's work. It's weird, unexplained, and seems like a bit of a cop-out. That being said, I'm going to invite you to read it a different way that was in no way intended by the storytellers. I, personally, like to think of the doll as another side of Vasilisa's personality. And I know this sounds stupid, but stay with me. It's a lot like the movie Fight Club, and if you haven't seen Fight Club, I'm about to ruin it, but it's nearly 16 years old at the time of recording, so I think the statute of limitations on spoilers has expired. So, in Fight Club, the narrator is an unhappy office drone who meets this man he finds interesting and admirable, named Tyler. Tyler lives outside the system, and he ends up being everything the narrator wants to be. Well, the twist at the end of the movie was that the narrator and Tyler are the same person. It's all the narrator with multiple personality disorder, or disassociative identity disorder as it's now called. The way I like to read the story is that the doll is Vasilisa's Tyler Durden. The doll doesn't come to life, but it's Vasilisa doing all the work, and it's her way of dealing with the daily trauma of living with people who are doing everything in their power to destroy her. She's doing all the work, stealing extra meals, and came up with a sunscreen concoction on her own, but imagines the dolls doing all this, so that she can remain psychologically insulated from all the torturous things that they're doing to her. The doll is the tough-as-nails, get-it-done personality of Vasilisa, who does all the work and takes all the hardship, while Vasilisa Prime still imagines herself living as she always has, not really having to deal with the stepmother's abuse. Like I said, this is in no way in the original text, and it's just my own personal fan theory, but I think it's vastly more interesting than a doll that comes to life and does all her work for her with virtually no explanation. I think you can find evidence for this rating based on the text, but I'll let you be the judge. The stepmother sees that the punishment isn't working. They need to do something more drastic. They need to kill Vasilisa. And the issue that brought this to a head was marriage. The story is named Vasilisa the Beautiful, so it's not too hard to see why all the young men want to marry Vasilisa. Her ragged, crow-like, and generally unpleasant to be around stepsisters? Uh, thanks but no thanks. The stepmother refuses to give Vasilisa, the youngest, away in marriage before her daughters, so she devises a plan. The father has to go away on a long business trip to a different Tsardom, and so he has to leave for several months. Vasilisa guesses that something's going on, but she can only plead with her father not to leave. She's told him everything, but he's either oblivious or willfully ignorant, because the stepmother tells him all the time that she loves Vasilisa. And it's not like people can just say things that are untrue, Vasilisa. Well, he leaves, and weeks pass, and Vasilisa stops seeing her father's letters coming in, along with the money he was sending the family so that they could do small things like eat. She didn't know that the stepmother was raiding and then burning his letters and pocketing the money. After the first month, the stepmother came to Vasilisa, your father is dead, she told her. We can't afford to live here anymore, and we should save whatever money we can by selling this house and moving to the edge of the dark, cursed, forbidding forest. As it turns out, land's a lot cheaper there. Can't imagine why. They moved to a dirty hut at the edge of the forest, and when Vasilisa wasn't forced to clear the fields so that they could start farming when the conditions were more favorable, the stepmother would send her off into the forest. Out there, deep in the forest was the old hag, Baba Yaga. She lived alone in a small hut, and though she looked like a harmless old grandmother, many warriors had tried themselves against her power. And she didn't just kill them. 
she ate them. Vasilisa had been charged with getting berries from a certain bush, with the stepmother hoping that she would run into the old witch. The doll seemed to always know the way to the bushes, directing her clear of Baba Yaga's lands. The stepmother was annoyed that Vasilisa continued this pesky habit of living and devised a foolproof plan to get her to meet the witch. One night, the stepmother told all the girls that they must knit something, and then she put out all the lights in the house except one candle that they were all knitting around. One of the stepsisters was going to straighten out the wick, but she made a show of fumbling with it, and she snuffed out the last of their fire. The sister shrugged, sat back down, and looked like she was still working. They were sitting in complete darkness, though, and Vasilisa finally said it. No one can see anything. What are you doing? They said, oh, you can't see what you're doing? We can see just fine in the darkness. Sounds like you're the one with the problem. As it turns out, we're so far from town that the only place to get fire is in the hut of Baba Yaga. You said you needed fire, Vasilisa. Well, go get fire. Vasilisa said, you know what? I was mistaken. I'm just going to sit here and pretend to work like you got but she felt the two sisters grabbing her by the arms. She protested, but together they were able to throw her out the door and lock it behind her. She heard laughing recede into the hut, and she was left alone without even a moon to light the night. She had a bit of food with her, though, and she gave it to the doll, to whom she told this whole horrible situation. But the doll only smiled, and it calmly told her that she should do what she was commanded to do and go to Baba Yaga. As long as the doll was with her, she would be safe. Vasilisa took a deep breath and went off into the forest at night. After stumbling, running into trees, and getting scraped by branches, she was completely lost. She had been wandering for hours. Who knew the forest was this big? Then she heard it. Hooves. She perked up. If there are hooves, then there must be a road. She ran to the sound and found the road. She peered out from the leaves and saw a man in all white, riding a milk-white horse with a white leather saddle. She almost asked for help, but he looked deadly serious. As he passed, the sky above the road went from a deep blue to a light purple. The sun was coming up. She was tired, so she sat there a bit. She found the road, and this would be okay. Maybe she didn't need to find the witch after all. She didn't know how long she sat there, but there were more hooves. She would definitely ask this person for help, no matter what he looked like. Then she saw him. He was completely shrouded in red, riding a blood-red horse and a red leather saddle. Maybe she wouldn't ask him for help. As he passed, the sun rose. She followed along the road for hours that day. She'd eaten the last of her food in the night, and so she didn't have anything for the doll. She began to despair as day faded to twilight, and she was still in the forest. The paths seemed to be turning in on themselves, and she felt like she was passing the same spots over and over again. Up ahead, she saw a lawn and a glow. There was fire. Finally. The small hut was raised on stilts and didn't look particularly menacing from far off. Maybe someone else other than Baba Yaga lived in the forest. She ran to the hut. She came up to it and there was a wall surrounding the house and a gate at the front. It was hard to tell in the twilight, but it was made of something like a hardened, light-colored wood. And she went up to the gate and fumbled with the lock a bit, but she couldn't get it to open. She couldn't see it in the darkness, but it felt familiar. Then, the sound of more hooves. She saw a rider coming, but there was no time or place to hide. She stood against the wall, holding the doll in her dress, and she saw him. He was in all black, 
riding a black horse with a black saddle and he didn't pay any attention to her whatsoever. He went straight for the gate and sunk down into the ground like a specter, disappearing. She held her breath and she was wide-eyed. What just happened? Then the lights came on. On the wall above her, light sparked to life and she learned what the walls were made of. It wasn't wood, it was bones, human bones. Her hands shook as she saw the lock in front of her. It was a jawbone, with sharpened teeth holding it in place. Vasilisa's hands shook, and she staggered backwards, looking up at the lights that had fired to life. They were in human skulls that lined the top of the wall. This was a bad place. She needed to get out of here as fast as she could, before the owner returned. Then... She heard something, a cackling from far down the road. Vasilisa tried to run, but it was impossibly fast, and she could only make it to the bushes on the other side of the road before Baba Yaga was upon her. The old witch sat in a hunched, giant, flying mortar, touching the ground every now and then to row herself with a pestle, and she swept behind her to cover her trail. She said something to herself, and the locks slid apart, and Vasilisa could see, from the shadows of the forest, that the hut wasn't on stilts, but chicken legs. And then she saw the crone stick her nose up in the air, and she took a long sniff. Russian, Baba Yaga thought to herself. Someone had been here. Was still here. She took another deep breath, and slowly turned to look at Vasilisa in the forest, until their eyes met. She told the girl to come out. Vasilisa, not seeing any other option walked out onto the road. So, before continuing, I just want to say that Baba Yaga is strange. She's a very prominent figure in Slavic folklore in general, and Russian folklore in particular, and she's usually in the form of a dangerous and evil antagonist, depending on the type of person that seeks her out. She's incredibly dangerous, she's a murderer and a cannibal, and she's more powerful and dangerous than Kashi the Deathless. Remember, he had to work for her in order to get his talking horse. Only, well... She rides around in a flying mortar, which, I'm sure you know, is like a hard bowl you use to crush up herbs and make spices and medicines. The pestle is what you use to crush and grind things in a mortar, so it's not something you would look at and say, I could see someone riding in that. And her house is on chicken legs, and it spins around constantly. Still, Baba Yaga has played completely straight in nearly all the stories she's in. She's this super powerful, super evil witch to whom the hero needs to go seeking something, and her bargains are like making a deal with the devil because she's always trying to get you to fail so that she can eat you. As a modern reader, I have kind of a hard time taking her seriously, but I'll go over that more later. She eyed young Vasilisa hungrily, and drifted close to the girl as she asked what she was doing there. Vasilisa told her of the errand to get the fire, and the old woman's face curled into a smile. She would be happy to give the girl fire. Not for free, of course. Vasilisa would need to stay and work for her for a little while. Not long only a few days. The witch told her to come inside, and it was less of an invitation and more of a command. Vasilisa thought about running, and looked down the road that quickly winded off into the darkness, and looked up at the witch in her completely ridiculous flying bowl. That flying bowl was faster than the famished Vasilisa, and she didn't want to test whatever marginal kindness had led the witch to not kill her immediately and add her bones to the wall. Vasilisa breathed deeply and crossed the threshold of Baba Yaga's gate. As she passed, the gate slowly closed behind the girl. As the crone drifted ahead of her, she said, nonchalantly, 
And if you fail at the tasks I assign you, then I'll eat you. Vasilisa could tell from the sound of Baba Yaga's voice that she had smiled as she said it. That night, Baba Yaga ordered Vasilisa to make enough food that could feed three stout, hungry warriors. And then the old witch ate almost all of it and threw Vasilisa the scraps. Then she told Vasilisa what she must do on her first day of employment. Four things, actually. Clean the house, make dinner, weed the garden, and go back into her well-stocked grain storehouse and sort the bad grains from the good in several sacks. Not at all acknowledging that just the last task would take days. Baba Yaga went to the still very much too hot stove, hopped on it, rolled over, and went to sleep. Vasilisa crept out of the house, but she saw the wall surrounding the hut. It was futile. She pulled out the doll and gave what little food she had to the thing. It came to life, comforted her, and told her to go to sleep. The next day, Vasilisa slowly opened her eyes and remembered where she was, and she heard the witch out in the yard. She swiftly got to her feet and popped her head up in the window. Outside, Baba Yaga's spindly, wiry frame was scrambling onto her mortar before it took off. Baba Yaga said something, the gate slid open, and she floated out in her mortar. Now, Vasilisa thought to herself, this was her chance. She waited until Baba Yaga was out of view and scrambled to the gate as fast as she could. It started to close as she was able to climb down from the hut, remember it's not chicken legs, and though she dove for it, she only got close enough to almost lose her fingertips in the gate. In the daylight, the place was all the more terrifying, and she could see all the old bones that made up the wall, and the gate had a face with a sinister smile, made all the more terrifying because it was made up of human teeth. Vasilisa came in and looked at all she had to do, and despaired. She took out the doll and gave her a little bit of food, and the doll came to life again and comforted her. She rubbed her eyes because, for some reason, sleeping on the hard floor as a captive in the corner of a hut belonging to an insane witch who will eat you if you don't complete her nearly impossible tasks doesn't lend itself well to a great night of sleep. When Vasilisa opened her eyes, though, the tasks were almost done, and the doll was climbing back into her pocket. Vasilisa was awestruck. All she had left to do was make dinner. She might actually survive the day. That night, Vasilisa looked out as she could hear something crashing through the brush just in time to see the strange horseman in all black leap over the fence and disappear. Baba Yaga came in, her grotesque, deformed face excited at the prospect of eating the girl who couldn't have possibly completed all the tasks, but she came in to see the table set and four portions of food set on it. Baba Yaga sneered, and she went to the bags of grain and rooted through them, and she saw that they were perfectly sorted. She narrowed her eyes at Vasilisa and pounded the pestle on the floor. A few sets of disembodied hands came in and picked up the bags of grain and took them out the door. In between gulps of meat, beer, bread, wine, and mead, Baba Yaga told Vasilisa that tomorrow she would need to do it all again. Plus, Baba Yaga had some poppy seeds, you know, those very small seeds, and someone had apparently snuck in and rubbed dirt on all of them. Baba Yaga had a half measure of those that needed to be cleaned, individually. If Vasilisa could do that, she could live another day. Well, if you guess what happened on the last day happened again, you would be absolutely right. The doll did it as Vasilisa rubbed her eyes. Vasilisa made dinner, and once again, the wrinkled old witch came knocking into her hut with her iron pestle, and was disappointed when she saw that Vasilisa had done everything. Again. 
She hit it twice on the floor, and again hands floated in and removed the grains and poppy seeds. After Baba Yaga had finished a meal large enough for five men, she sat back. She stared at Vasilisa, and the girl stared at her. Baba Yaga, looking at her spotless hut, demanded to know what Vasilisa wanted. Her oddly hairy, creased jowl shook as she talked. Vasilisa the Beautiful said she had some questions, and Baba Yaga told her to proceed, but warned her that not every question leads to good things. If you know too much, you will grow old too soon. And you know what happens after people grow old. Basically, you'll die. Baba Yaga will kill her. That's what'll happen. Baba Yaga was salivating. She had the girl. But then her smile faded as Vasilisa started talking about the riders. The three riders in white, red, and black. Baba Yaga said that those were just day, twilight, and night, respectively. Now, don't you have any other questions for me? I mean, there's a ton of weird stuff here. Three pairs of hands just floated in here to serve me. My fence is made from human bones. I sleep on a hot oven. None of this is strange enough to ask about? Nope, Vasilisa said. Baba Yaga had said it herself. Not every question leads to good things. Vasilisa had asked some questions, and seeing as she was not dead right now, she would stop while she was ahead. Baba Yaga then rolled her eyes. Very well. Vasilisa had passed the test. If she had failed, the hands would have come back in and grabbed the young woman like they did the poppy seeds just now, dragging her to a sad and horrible fate where she would end up as dinner for Baba Yaga. Speaking of the poppy seeds, those tasks were very much impossible and should have led to me eating you tonight, the witch said. Mind if I ask how you managed to still be alive right now? Vasilisa, hand in her pocket, felt the doll and started to tell Baba Yaga that it was a gift from her dead mother a blessing. But at that word, Baba Yaga's eyes widened in outrage and horror. She jumped up and told Vasilisa that she must leave immediately. No one with a blessing of any kind may stay in her house. I guess maybe forgetting that she was keeping the girl captive. She chased Vasilisa down her hut and shouted at the gate to open. The bones unwound themselves and it slid apart. Out on the road, Vasilisa heard Baba Yaga calling to her as she was running away and the girl saw the witch atop the wall, holding one of the flaming skulls. She smiled and threw it at Vasilisa, telling her that her stepmothers and stepsisters will take great joy in it. Then she leapt down the wall and said the words to close the gate, disappearing from Vasilisa's life forever and leaving her with a flickering skull on top of smoldering weeds. Vasilisa trekked through the night, following the road and going by the light of the skull. Being as it was on fire, it was hot to the touch, and so she had found a stick that she was able to jam in the hole at the base of the skull, so she could hold it up and light the way. The light went out during the day, and she kept walking. She hadn't eaten in two days, not getting the chance to have any of Baba Yaga's scraps before the witch kicked her out, slash released her from her imprisonment. She was staggering through the woods at this point, and as the sun was going down, the fires in the skull sputtered to life. She crashed through yet another web of tangled branches and found herself looking at a field bathed in moonlight. Her stepmother's meager shack was off in the distance. She had made it. (laughs) 
Vasilisa was fairly certain at this point that they had sent her on an errand to a vicious cannibal witch in order to kill her, and so she was surprised when they threw open the door, smiled, and pulled her into the hut. The women were hunched on the floor, shivering, and they seemed astonished that the light had stayed lit. For days, any time that they returned to the hut with flame from the neighbors, it had mysteriously gone out. They couldn't make fire here either, by flint or any other means. Now though, with this flaming and super creepy skull, they were warming up nicely. In fact, the place was getting so warm that it was pretty hot now. I mean, not to be ungrateful, but wow, is anyone else feeling this? Vasilisa was quite cool, but she could see her stepmother and the two daughters were breathing heavily, and sweat was soaking through their clothes. Then, propped up on the stick in the center of the room, the skull's eyes and mouth began to glow, and then flames were coming up and licking the forehead. The women other than Vasilisa were all on the verge of passing out from heat stroke at this time, but they were filled with dread when they saw the eyes. They were terrified. They knew it was coming next, and they made to run, to get away from this thing, but the skull in the center of the room spun on its stick to look at the mother, then one daughter, then the other. As it did, fire shot out from its eyes, consuming them, and leaving them as nothing more than a heap of ash on the floor. The three women were dead. The room went from looking like an inferno back to being lit by a slow, flickering skull almost instantaneously. Vasilisa was stunned. They were dead. Sure, they had been abusive, but she didn't want them to die and certainly not one of the worst ways possible. She sat down. It doesn't say what she did with the ashes, but she stayed the night in the hut. The next day she left it, and on the long walk back to town, she buried the skull under a lost and lonely hill, promptly forgetting the location. It had not been a good few days, and she wanted nothing more than to forget her time as prisoner of Baba Yaga. And it shows just how much everyone disliked the stepmother, because no one really batted an eye now that they were all dead. Sure, Vasilisa, it was the work of Baba Yaga, wink wink, nudge nudge. But Vasilisa found that her father still had not returned, and so she took up living with a childless older woman. Despite themes of child abuse, cannibalism, and immolation, this fairy tale still has to have a happy ending. So Vasilisa, bored out of her mind, resumes spinning flax into thread. The doll builds her frame, and she spins and weaves it straight through the winter, making a shirt so nice that she gives it to the old woman to sell at the market. And the sum the old woman will make from the shirt should more than pay for months of room and board. The woman, though, takes it to the czar, who's single, by the way, and he says it's the finest shirt he's ever seen. The best weavers in the czardom couldn't make anything so nice, and so he demands to meet her. They meet, fall in love instantly, and he marries the supposedly orphaned daughter of a merchant. It's a happy ending for everybody. Except the father, who returns from a business trip and finds his house and possessions sold, and his wife and stepdaughters dead. The wife that, remember, he actually loved. Oh, and you now own a hut in dangerous proximity to a cursed forest and a cannibalistic witch. And it may or may not contain your dead wife's ashes. Welcome back. Vasilisa, though, lived in the palace as a Tsarina, basically a queen, and even though she lived the rest of her life in comfort and security, she always kept the magic super doll on her, as a reminder of her mother and all that she had been through to get where she was.
That's the story of Vasilisa the Beautiful, and as you can probably notice, it's narratively problematic. Namely, what was the end game for the stepmother? I mean, she lies to Vasilisa, sells all the father's stuff, and moves out into the forest? Okay, say Vasilisa died. Then what? Why did they remain in the hut after the plan was complete, especially when it was cursed that it couldn't keep any fire in it? And what was she planning on telling the father when he came back and saw that his house and all his possessions had been sold in some ruse to kill his daughter? And there's the issue of the doll. I like my Fight Club theory because it actually has Vasilisa doing something, instead of just sitting back and having the doll take care of everything. I'm not even going to address how the existence of the doll and its supernatural capabilities wasn't addressed in any version of the story. I also have to throw in, once again, that my multiple personality disorder reading of the story is nothing more than a fan theory, and not anywhere close to a legitimate reading of the story. So please don't put it on a term paper and get mad at me for getting a terrible grade. And there's Baba Yaga. I had a whole portion where I had her stalking the forest, following Vasilisa as a shadowy specter on the corners of her vision, like in a modern horror movie. But Baba Yaga wouldn't do that. She wouldn't try to sneak and scare. She's too showy too flamboyant, but she can be showy and flamboyant because she's still legitimately terrifying for the characters because of her incredible power and cruelty. She's almost more threatening because she seems absolutely ridiculous at times. You don't know when the laughable will return sinister. She can ride around in a mortar, wielding a pestle, sleeping on a hot stove in a house on chicken legs because she's just that powerful. She will have disembodied hands come into your house in an instant and hold you down so that she can eat you. I've read quite a bit about her, and while I thought the mortar and pestle was stupidly weird, is it really any more bizarre than a witch on a broomstick, or someone on a flying carpet? And the oven thing is over the top too, but I've read that in that time in Russia, ovens could take up most of the room, and sleeping near it, or on part of it, was considered one of the warmest places in the house. Her relationship is different depending on who comes to visit her. With Prince Ivan in 5A, she was almost constantly trying to kill him, and with men she's nearly always hostile. With young women, she's a little more ambivalent, helping them in some instances, wanting to eat them in others, like today with Vasilisa. And apparently when young children come to visit her, she's more grandmotherly. Though I've read in other places that she almost always tries to eat young children, so who knows. I've done way more research than is warranted in trying to understand this weird character, and I'm going to throw up a bonus episode on the members-only feed where I get so deep into the topic that I even talk about the etymology of Baba Yaga's name. For instance, Baba Yaga is not really a proper noun, and it means something like horrifying old lady. So we should technically say Vasilisa went to see a Baba Yaga when we're referring to her. There's some speculation that this could be a Voldemort-style way to avoid saying whatever name the witch actually had, as if just the name contained some sort of evil power. Still, whatever the witch is actually named has been lost to history. So people that have signed up for a membership on the website or Patreon users, that should be out soon. So keep an eye on the feed over the next couple days. Next week is Thanksgiving here in the States, so I'll be out. That being said, I got enough listener submitted stories that there's actually enough for an episode completely from you all. I'm really excited about it, and the stories are good. I want to say thanks to Old Airplanes, Sig Corpse, Bobby Kang, ZB Hitch, and I have to spell that out, Carter Artist, Creepy Snowman, Frab Just B, Festival Film Fun, April May Sowers, and Tihana816 for the reviews on iTunes. Seriously, thank you all so much. I'm incredibly grateful. And if you'd like to leave a review, iTunes is the best place for now. And you can find the show there at itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, I moved over from Patreon to a membership on the website, 
which makes things like a private podcast feed a possibility. If you'd like to become a member, it's $5 a month, less than the price of half of a roll of Sudoku toilet paper, which is basically worthless because your pen's going to go right through that thing. Becoming a member would not only show your appreciation for the show, but you get access to special episodes and ebooks of the sources I've used. In addition to the one that goes super deep into the topic of Baba Yaga coming up, the Fairy Tale Friday episode this month is two Japanese fairy tales, which, as you know, are amazing. You can go to support.mythpodcast.com for more information, and as always, thank you so much for just listening. The creature this week is the Babanshi, and they're from the Scottish Highlands. As an aside, it said the pronunciation is basically like Banshee, but I'm going to keep saying it like that because it makes it a little simpler, but just know that it's a different version of the similar creature, but it's made different by its location in the Scottish Highlands. They're vampires who are beautiful women, and like all vampires, they haunt the night and hate daylight, and these subsist mainly on the blood of huntsmen in the moorlands. One night, four young men were resting overnight in a shepherd's shelter when four beautiful young women in green dresses came and wanted to dance with them. One of the shepherds went to pick something up off the ground and saw that, rather than feet, his dance partner had cloven hooves that were covered in specks of blood. Yep, a dead giveaway for the Bavanchi is that she has cloven hooves instead of feet. That, and she's a beautiful woman wearing a spotless green or white dress wanting to dance with poor huntsmen in a precarious mountain region in the middle of the night. Nothing weird about that. The huntsman bolted to the horses, and he hid behind them. One of the Bavanshi chased him there, but like a lot of mythological creatures, she had an aversion to iron. The iron in the horseshoes, to be exact. She left in a huff after a short while, not being able to get at the man, but the huntsman didn't come out until morning, just to be safe. When he did, he found the lifeless corpses of his friends, completely drained of their blood around the smoldering remains of the fire. Also, some sources say that the women have the hooded faces of crows or ravens, which, if you're trying to lull a huntsman into a false sense of security with your beauty, that seems like a bit of a liability. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.